episode 212, Susan Pierce Thompson. How the brain blocks weight loss and ultimately stops you. The Awaken Your Alpha podcast, tracking down the finest alpha minds on the planet for you. Words they live by, for example, put the cookie down. Origins, biggest failures, fears, awakening moments, the alpha round, and their wake-up question to finish. I'm Adam Lewis Walker, number one best-selling author, TEDx speaker, and high-performance specialist. I'll be your host and guide through this journey. Head over to ayalpha.com. Search Awaken Your Alpha on Facebook, and you'll find a private group for the true fans of the show. Do the little guy a favor. Subscribe and review. It'll help get him off my back. Hope you love it. We're back to the original, the old school, the origin of Arnold introducing the show. My original music. This is the origins. This is what it should be. This is Awaken Your Alpha. Get to the podcast. Okay, guys. So welcome to Awaken Your Alpha. We've got a brilliant one for you. Continuing our comeback in season three, we have Susan Thompson. Um, Susan Susan Pierce Thompson, PhD, is a psychology professor, a brain and cognitive specialist, and an expert in the psychology of eating. So this is a really good, interesting one. We don't think we've ever had an episode quite like this. She's the president of the Institute for Sustainable Weight Loss and CEO of Brightline Eating Solutions, a company dedicated to helping people achieve long-term sustain, sustainable weight loss. Her program utilizes cutting-edge research to explain how the brain blocks weight loss and every day she teaches people how to undo the damage so they can live happy, thin, and free. Which, I mean, that's got to be the, probably going to be the title of the episode here. Um, so firstly, happy, thin, and free. Yeah, I awesome. like it. <laughs> so nice. firstly, Susan, are you ready to awaken your alpha today? Oh, Adam, I am. I need that. <laughs> <laughs> Good stuff, yeah. So tell me a little bit about how do you, I mean, let's dive straight into your origins, really. How do you, obviously, PhD, that doesn't come easy, so I know there's been a, quite a journey. But how did you get into all of this? Uh, where are you originally from? Really tell me your origins. I'm originally from San Francisco. And um, I was, you know, kind of a smart kid, you know, average kid maybe. And then um, I started doing drugs when I was a teenager. And that I got pretty far off the beaten path with that. Yeah. I was overweight first, though. I, mm-hmm. I, I was a normal-sized kid. And by the age of 12, I was overweight. Um, I weigh less now than I did when I was 12 years old. Um, and so I started to diet and when I tried mushrooms at the age of 14, um, I had a great time and I lost seven pounds just in that one night. And, um, it kind of like, I took note of that and um, I started using drugs that are even more tuned to Mm. weight off you like crystal meth and cocaine and things like that. Crack cocaine. ultimately. I was going to say this because again, someone who's not like got hardly very limited experience in this arena. When I think of someone who's on drugs, I always think of that kind of almost emaciated, very, you know, I don't think of an obese person. I think of that person who's very, very skinny. Well, all the, I mean, yeah, all the hard drugs, you're just not eating on them. Mm. I mean, pot is really the only one, you know, alcohol's calories and Mm. sugar. So alcohol, you can get bloated on alcohol and pot gives you the munchies. But once you get past that, they all drop weight off you. And you said you was a smart kid. I mean, it sounds like there's probably going to be a few in there, but when was, would you say is like your awakening moment when you thought, you know, I'm going to really run with this or I'm going to obviously commit to studying this much and really dig into ultimately what you're doing now? Well, yeah, that was a long process. Yeah. The, the, the turning point really was August 9th, 1994. That's when I got clean and sober. That's the turning yeah. point of my whole life. And I haven't had a drink or a drug since then. Um, so it's like 20, almost 23 years. 
Um, but then it was still a long road because I got fat right after that. So mm. my food addiction took off. Um, and I knew I would get fat. I mean, I knew that. I was doing drugs to keep the weight off. And I knew when I quit them, you know, I was going to whack on a ton of weight. And I did. Um, but, you know, with food addiction in the mix, you can kind of function better than with drug addiction in the mix. That's for sure. And I yeah. transferred, you know, I went to community college, transferred to UC Berkeley, aced all my classes, got into all the grad schools I applied to you know, got my PhD in brain and cognitive sciences, all the while struggling with food addiction and gaining weight, trying 12-step food programs, mostly having no success, um, became obese in my 20s, tried everything, ran a marathon, did all the, you know, fit for life, body for life, um, Atkins, all the, all the diets. And, um, you know, things would work for a little while and then I'd be fatter than ever um, and trying to figure out how to muster it for one more attempt. And then... Um, I did finally find a lot of help in a 12-step program for food addiction that helped me a lot. And um, I started helping other people in that program, sponsoring them. But the trouble there was that the people that I knew, by and large, who had weight to lose, they didn't want to do the program because it was too rigorous. It was too yeah. fanatical. It was too extreme. And um, so at that point, I'd finished my PhD. I did a two-year postdoc in Sydney, Australia in psychology. And I came back to the States and I became a tenured psychology professor. And at that point, that's, you know, somewhere in that transition there was when my fascination with the brain and food addiction and the psychology of eating really kind of took off. And I started teaching a college course on the psychology of eating. And uh, then um, ultimately I decided to write a book about what I knew um, about how the science of how the brain blocks weight loss and why certain things like abstaining from sugar, for example, you know, rewires the brain so that you can finally lose your weight. Um, and uh, yeah, so in 2014, I resolved to write a book and that's the book that is, you know, out now, March 21st, 2017. It's the publication date. Yay. Yay. Bright line eating the science of living happy, thin and three. Even with my accent, I can get them out there. <laughs> in and three, okay. So um, in terms of, it sounded like obviously you're very academic route for a long time. When did you decide or is it kind of a gradual transition to go into a sort of an entrepreneurial or start your own business with Brightline Eating? How did that happen? Yeah. I'm always interested in that because um, I think totally. a lot of listeners, including myself, that's a tough time transition it's, it's it's never you know when do you know is the right time and there's probably never the right time so tell me a little bit about that yeah great question adam i never intended to start a business um i'm not fundamentally in business um i'm trying to help people yeah but um so the purpose was to write a book and as i was writing my book proposal i learned that i needed a platform and i that I didn't know what that was. So I had to Google what is a platform. <laughs> and then um, I, you know, all these options like podcast or, you know, TV show or speaker circuit or whatever. Um, but I had three little kids. Um, there were five, five and two at the time, my twins and then my little one. And I was a tenured psychology professor and assistant uh, chair of the department. And I had no time to do any of those other things. So yeah. I started an email list and oh. started to grow that. <laughs> Yeah. And um, just, you know, I was like, okay, look, once a week I can write a really good email article that people will want to read that will add value to their life. And um, I just started that. And that's where it all took off. And, um, you know, that was two years. That was August was 5th, 2014. That, yeah. So two, what's August 2014? It's two years and eight or nine months ago, something like that. Yes. Yes. About that. Yeah. 
And yeah. Um, yeah, in those two years and eight or nine months, 450,000 people have joined my email list. <laughs> Maybe closer well, to 500,000 by now. Slimy guys. I mean, that's not a kind of a promotion from, you know, wow, that's impressive. I <laughs> say, I share must, valuable stuff. Yeah, like that, I, I'm sharing good clients yeah. that people, you know, want to hear about. And it, so it was really the people on my email. It started slow at first. Yeah. At the end of 2014, I only had like 800 subscribers. Yeah. Um, but um, I was going to say, so, yeah, they started asking for stuff. I was like, going to say to go yeah. off on a tangent, just on a entrepreneurial side, sort of side um, splitting off. What would you say then is apart from obviously very good content, you know, you've grown a huge email list in a relatively short amount of time. What do you think um, is your, your hack or your tip on that? Is it just very, very good content consistently? Um, no, it's, it's that <laughs> you got to have yeah. that. Yeah. Um, but my email list has grown almost exclusively through launches. Okay. Um, so I, and so f I don't know if people know, you know, whatever. So what I mean by that is, um, pretty early on, like by October of 2014, people on my list, those few hundred people were, were pounding me for some kind of course or some kind of like, yeah. basically they were saying, show me what to do. And I was a professor. So my way of doing that, I was already teaching online courses at my college. So I created an online course and then I offered it, you know, and, um, and it was through the webinar that I used to explain to people about the science and about the course that I was offering. Yeah that webinar registration page got like 99 shares on Facebook. So in the, in the like few days that I launched that course, my email yeah. list doubled. Wow. Now, I mean, it was only like 350 and it doubled to like 800 or whatever, you know, a little over doubled, but um, you know, that, that was significant. Double, yeah. Right then. <laughs> yeah. And then in the next launch, you know, I added, you know, 4,000 people to my list. And in the next launch, I added 10,000. And in the next launch I ordered, I added a hundred thousand. Now I started doing, um, Jeff Walker style launches. So I really recommend the book launch by Jeff Walker. Oh, I yeah. followed his system pretty much oh. to the letter. Like yeah. I just put my <laughs> nose down and just followed it. Groundbreaking. But that's what most people don't do. They will like <laughs> take yeah. bits they like and go, Oh, why didn't yeah. it work the same? But you know, I didn't get distracted. <laughs> I did a, I, I started, I, I, for, I did everything he told me to do. I set up a squeeze page. Yeah. I hooked it up with an email list. I used the email service provider that he recommended. I, um, you know, offered my seed launch with a webinar yeah. and then I turned it into a, the full fledged course, did the three videos and then ultimately got promotional partners and, you know, joint venture partners to send emails for me and they made, you know, decent money. And, um, and you know, I, I, I paid them well to get access to their email lists and stuff, but it was really through other people's email lists that you get the big traffic because other yeah. people have already curated, curated big email lists out yeah. there. You just have to get access to them and you get that access by having really good content. Yeah. Like, you know, people have to rave about your stuff. That's what makes people feel and buy it because that's yeah. how your affiliate partners make money. So, yeah. Awesome. So what is Brightline Eating, would you say? How would you sum it up? Um, Brightline Eating is a system, a comprehensive system for teaching someone how to rewire their brain so it stops blocking them from losing weight so they can finally live happy, thin, and free. Mm -hmm. I know that's kind of you know, jargony, but I mean, I'm happy to go into as much detail as you oh, we, want, but we, yeah, we only we have only much, so much no, time. Exactly. You know? And I, I mean that, that email stuff I think was, and you know, people hearing out the reality of what someone's done. And again, you just, you know, saying you stuck to it and you went through the specific systems and process from someone like Jeff Walker. That's awesome. 
how do you think or talk about you know almost really the first chapter in your book how is your brain blocking you from losing weight um, and some of the common ways it does that um, and I just want you to talk about maybe break down sort of obviously an overview of some of the the chapters in your book really sure yeah so there's three main ways and those are the first three chapters in the book I start off with an introduction where I tell my story of you know cocaine addict crack and meth addiction and all that and you know then the years of being obese and how I found my own solution and all that but um but then the first three chapters in the book are how does the brain block weight loss boom 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 and so chapter one is called the willpower gap and the brain blocks weight loss by this freaking quirk in the brain. It's just, it's just maddening, Adam, that willpower is wired into this part of the brain that also governs all kinds of um, effort required to execute other tasks and activities, like all your decision-making and um, reining in your emotions so you don't blow up in traffic, you don't scream at your kids, you don't mouth off at your boss, you know, when you want to, that kind of stuff, reining that stuff in. Uh, the effort required to do a good job at a performance or on an Excel spreadsheet or in a business meeting or whatever, you're using up that part of the brain, the anterior cingulate cortex, and your, your stores are finite there. So once you've used them for a little bit, they're gone. And then you're left with this gaping hole in your willpower. And if you happen to be walking by a vending machine or driving past a drive-through yeah. or being offered a donut in the break room, you're like, but yeah, we, sure. We, there's quite a lot of in America. Exactly. <laughs> so in this kind of society, the willpower gap is a big problem, yeah. right? And so the, the take-home message of that chapter is you cannot rely on your willpower to execute any kind of plan. Like you can learn about what to eat and what not to eat all day long. And, you know, a year later, you will weigh the same because the issue is not knowing what to eat and what not to eat. It's execution over the long term. And you're relying on your brain to do something it was not designed to do, which is to make good choices for you in a cluttered, crowded environment of a lot of work and a lot of busyness and a lot of hyper palatable available food around every corner. You are dead in the water if you're thinking you're going to navigate your food environment successfully. It's just not going to happen. Yeah. I mean, I, sort of following on from that, I see in your books, obviously, I wanted to ask about the chapters straight after that, you know, insatiable hunger and over, overpowering cravings. Um, and, the, and then what intrigued me as well is this, the, again, the susceptibility scale, if I can say that. Again, I can't pronounce some words. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. Over to you. <laughs> so overpowering cravings, that's the second way the brain blocks weight loss. I don't know if people notice, but there's this, no, no sorry, insatiable hunger. Isn't that, yeah. that's chapter two, insatiable yeah. hunger. So insatiable hunger, I don't know if people notice, but there's this um, new kind of hunger on the scene. It's this desire to keep eating, even when you're, you've already eaten plenty, right? So like you've mm. had dinner. And there you are on the couch watching TV and now you want a bag of chips and the chips are gone and now you're going to the freezer for ice cream. And it's like you're not actually physiologically hungry anymore in the sense of not having enough calories on board, but you're hungry in the sense that you still really are motivated to eat. Yeah. And it's this insatiable hunger that's caused uh, by the brain not seeing leptin anymore. There's this hormone leptin. That's the hormone that shuts off your desire to eat. It's yeah. the hormone that makes you feel full. And it's the hormone that makes you want to get active with all the calories you just ingested and go burn them off. You know, I, ideally in the pursuit of, you know, life sustaining activities like building a hut or finding a mate or killing a wildebeest. But, you know, you're supposed to go use that. that everyday things I do up in Northern Michigan. Now. <laughs> right. Well, this is, yeah, this is how it evolved a long time ago, right? Today, we don't have any of these issues, but that's what the hormone was originally designed yeah. for. 
the, pr the trouble is that um, it's not working anymore. People aren't seeing their leptin. Leptin is being blocked in the brain. And it was just a few years ago, actually, in the mid-2000s, um, 2004 or six, I believe, um, that we discovered that the issue was that insulin is blocking leptin. So the trouble with that is that baseline insulin levels in the population have been rising for a long time. And uh, sugar and flour cause that and um, eating the way we eat these days causes that. And with too much insulin on board, um, your brain thinks you're starving, physiologically thinks you're starving. And that's why also you're not moving. That's why, it's, that's why you're sitting on the couch at night and feeling so sluggish, Yeah, um, is leptin is being blocked. So uh, that's another way the brain's blocking weight loss is you, you actually show all the physiological markers of starvation with leptin being blocked. Wow. You can, you, you can be eating 5,000 calories a day yeah. and your brain is still pumping out hormones that say you're starving. It's interesting, yeah, to get the sort of the, the science all behind it to this sort of level. It's, uh, it's interesting. And, and I mean, I mean, this is obviously wasn't the focus of what you're saying, but I was just thinking in terms of when I don't, like you say, sitting on, when you're sedentary or sitting on the couch and stuff, if I don't move like a lot in a day, it's surprising that you'd think it's almost counterintuitive, but I feel so much more tired than if I did move. Yeah, I know that's yeah. obvious, but you know what I mean? You just feel exhausted. You're like, oh, I'm exhausted. I need to go and exercise, basically. I need to go and move. It's yeah. crazy how that all fits. So, I mean, we, you talked, we were sort of moving on to sort of overpowering cravings and the, the scale that, you, that is mentioned in your book. Yeah, so the next chapter is the overpowering cravings, and that's caused by dopamine downregulation in the nucleus accumbens. So the idea here is that we've taken foods and we've adulterated them. We've basically taken foods and we've turned them into drugs. Mm. Like, you know, rice is a food. Rice flour is a drug. So we've yeah. taken rice and we've ground it down into a fine powder. We've taken the inner essence of the rice, actually, not the whole, you know, usually the whole thing, but the inner essence of it. And we've, we've ground it down into a fine powder. That's the same way that you take, that you make heroin or cocaine. You take the inner essence of the poppy plant or the, or the coca leaf, and you refine and purify that inner essence into a fine powder. That's how you take. That's how you take a plant and make it into a drug. Yeah. So sugar and flour are affecting our brains, um, in that they flood. They flood the reward centers with dopamine far more than that part of the brain was ever designed to handle. Like a donut is just not a natural thing. The brain was not. <laughs> I mean, if you think about what's the you don't get donut trees. Donut trees. Donut trees. <laughs> Me and Homer are going to be so disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> totally, totally. Um, you think about the sweetest thing around in the past. It was what, like a a raspberry? Berry, I mean, like, yeah, berry. Yeah. Berry. Yeah. So you and know, now they're like just... super healthy. That's like a super healthy thing back then. Right. That's probably a treat. <laughs> right. Totally. Totally. Yeah. So the, the brain gets flooded, it responds by rewiring and thinning out the dopamine receptors and making them less responsive so that the next time the flood comes, um, they, they produce a, a, a normal response, not mm. a big response. The trouble is now, if you take away the sugar and the flour, you feel like crap, like you yeah. feel itchy and needy and bleak and desperate. And that's where cravings come from. You feel yeah. profoundly motivated to go get more like, and the, the, the research show is very clear that this kind of addiction is identical to cocaine and heroin addiction. If you look at the, the nucleus accumbens of mm. a, a crack addict, a heroin addict, a cocaine addict, and an obese person eating sugar and flour, it's the same. It looks, it, it looks the same. In some cases, if you look, actually the obese brain looks worse. Um, and research, this isn't just a correlation. Research has shown it's the eating of those foods that turns the brain that way. It, yeah. it wasn't that way to begin with. It caused it. So, um, yeah, so 
then I talk about, well, why isn't everyone obese then? If, you know, everyone's susceptible to the willpower gap. Yeah. Um, now, different brains wire to these effects um, differentially. And there's actually a scale. I have a quiz that people can take to find out where they are on the scale, but it's called the susceptibility scale. And um, one is low and 10 is high. Super simple. Um, I'm a 10. <laughs> Sucks to be me. Um, <laughs> no, I, I was interested in this scale thing because, again, it comes back to the thing where people say, oh, I'm big boned or, you know, I'm just this way or my metabolism is different. I'm, I'm interested to know the kind of the, the mental side behind this as well, the psychology. Yeah. I used to think I was big boned. I'm tiny, but like my wrists are so tiny. I used to think I was big boned. I used to say I was big boned. I thought I was big boned. I was like, oh, my rib cage is really wide. And you know, <laughs> I'm a, a freaking size four. I'm, I'm not big boned. Um, anyway, yeah, when you're obese, you think you're big boned. Um, it's not bones, it's fat. Anyway, um, so where was I? Do you so on, the scale, oh, the scale. on the scale, on the scale. So I'm just, I'm interested in this scale, yeah. Like, yeah, the psychology behind it. Yeah. One third are high, one third are medium, and one third are low in the population. And that's true for rats. It's true for people. It's true for all kinds of drugs. Um, doesn't matter the drug. We're talking, you know, nicotine, alcohol, heroin. People think addiction is in the drug, like heroin is addictive mm. for everyone. It's not. It's not at all addictive for a third of the population. Not at all. Only moderately addictive for the other third, and then totally addictive for the final third yeah you got to know what kind of brain you have so people can go to foodfreedomquiz.com yeah. it's five questions super quick did you take the quiz adam no i just saw it i got like a little teaser trailer for oh that's that looks interesting so i'm glad yeah. i'm finding out more about it now Totally. Um, it's, it's good like you say people need to know what they are it just like comes back to everything that i am always talking about in terms of awareness whatever wherever you are whatever your issues are or whatever you want to get you've got to be aware of you know who you are because everyone's yeah. different yeah you've got to know what you're wrestling with like if you're high on that scale it means you've got some serious you know addictive pulls to those foods those mm. hyper palatable sugar and flour foods and then you kind of know what kind of devil you're dancing with you know if you're low on the susceptibility scale then weight loss is really an issue of calorie management and you can use my fitness pal or spark people and just yeah. make sure that you're tracking what you're eating and so forth but if you're higher on the scale what's going to happen is what you eat today is not just going to impact your weight today, you know, whatever, like, yeah. you know, oh, I ate 1400 calories, you know, and that was right on for me or whatever. What you eat today sets you up to want to eat more tomorrow, right? What are really the, the four bright lines or, you know, the start of a kind of solution and how to handle certain things? Yeah, well, the, so for someone who doesn't know a bright line, by the way, this is a term I really am excited to, you know, introduce to widespread use because it's so helpful. A bright line is just a clear, unambiguous boundary that you never mm -hmm. cross. So like if you're going to quit smoking, that's a bright line. Yeah. Um, if you're going to quit drinking altogether, like in AA, that's a bright line. Um, for food, you know, if you don't think about it too deeply, you might think, well, you can't have bright lines for food because you have to eat to live. Um, it's not like heroin or something that you can just quit. And it's like, well, uh, yeah, but you don't have to eat donuts to live. Um, and uh, like you, it sounds so simple, but literally if someone's, <laughs> if someone's really not in the best shape and their diet is really shocking, like you say, that one bright line of like, yeah, they might still eat all sorts of treats and stuff, but if they've been eating a lot of donuts, just that one thing is saying, right, I don't eat donuts, like, full stop. <laughs> yeah. That could, it sounds it silly, but that could have quite an impact. <laughs> yeah, or like, I don't eat fast food. Like, I just don't go, yeah. don't go through drive-thrus, you know? Yeah. Uh, for food, the bright lines I recommend are sugar, flour, mm. meals. I really recommend three meals a day, actually. Mm. 
Um, now, if someone's a gym rat, they're going to probably need more than three meals a day. But, um, but for the average person, three meals a day is actually the way to go. The reason is that meals are automatizable. Like you can, you can execute your meals like you execute your teeth brushing and just wire them in and kind of get them consistent. Whereas five or six meals a day is much harder to, and then you're, then you're vulnerable to the willpower gap. You're trying to make choices on the fly. It's just much harder. Um, and quantities is the fourth bright line. Um, I recommend a digital food scale and, uh, um, mostly to make sure that you eat enough vegetables and not too much of everything else. Yeah. Yeah. Um, people will not eat enough vegetables unless they're actually weighing, you know, get up to 14 ounces at dinner, for example. Uh, it's a lot of vegetables. Um, and those are the four bright lines, sugar, flour, meals, and quantities. Awesome. So we're kind of coming into our alpha round now to try and try to wrap, start wrapping things up. So I just wondered what is a, either a quote that, well, you, you might have said it yourself or just a quote that you either like to live your life by or that's been inspiring to you or pops to mind when someone asks you this sort of question. You know, it's not a quote. Can I just use a word? I have a word. Yes. Yes. Uh, it's unstoppable. And I have it engraved in two bracelets right here on my wrist. Um, and it's just a word that I repeat to myself because this entrepreneur, entrepreneurial journey I've been on is um, – it's intense and it's not easy to, I mean, I know success looks all shiny and everything, but really it shows up as a lot of work and a lot of sleepless nights and, you know, um, frequent bursts of crying. (laughs) And, um, you know, so I just have to remind myself sometimes how unstoppable I am. I am just unstoppable. And I just, I just hold that really dear to my heart these days. I love it. I love it. One of my, and again, one of my uh, favorite books is called Relentless. And uh, it's, it's just the same sort of thing and the same sort of mentality. And uh, again, I'm simple. I, yeah. like the, I like the short ones. That's a quote. That's just a one word quote. Brilliant. Totally. <laughs> um, in terms of you, I think you mentioned my fitness power or anything like that. In terms of obviously we've got your book is a great resource, but are there any resources that you would recommend for anyone either like it could be in the entrepreneurial journey or in life or specifically to deal with um, eating psychology and issues. Is there any resources that you use regularly that you think could be helpful to recommend? Um, Well, yeah, entrepreneurially, I recommend product launch formula. It's Jeff Walker's course. And um, for eating, I recommend the bright line eating bootcamp. It's eight weeks and you know, um, our bright line eaters are 280 times more likely to lose all their excess weight and keep it off than people doing any other program around. We've got a research program right now, papers being published in scientific journals and um, we're taking the weight loss world by storm. So I, I can't, given that our program is 280 times more likely to produce the results you want, <laughs> uh, it's hard for me to recommend something else. So I know that self-service nice. is my no, honest hey. recommendation. <laughs> awesome. This is uh, my complete blank around. So I just want you to fill in the blanks for me, finish my sentence and I'll start that off with one that as i say i know it's going to take you back a little bit um the last time you were drunk was prior to august 9th 1994 don't remember that's what i mean i know it because i was listening to the interview so i know it's a long time your favorite movie of all time is pulp fiction no question it sounds like a very sort of set of circumstances that kind of awakened your alpha back then but um who helped awaken your effort was there ever like uh, someone who you either looked up who's inspirational or helped sort of helped you on this journey not really no um, it sounded like a set of circumstances almost yeah was, yeah i, I mean you, i sort of feel yeah. like the reluctant here like it was sort of like okay i gotta do this thing yeah um you know and i and i i love doing it it's amazing mm. and i'm super grateful to be the messenger of this thing but um 
yeah, I mean, I did not sort of decide oh, I'm going to be a badass and go conquer the, the weight loss world. Yeah. Like not really. That's not mm. what happened. It was like, I suffered so much. And then the, it, what happened was I was in my morning meditation. The universe just put it on my heart that I had to write a book called bright line eating. I never even heard the words bright line eating before. Never yeah. thought them, never said them. And the universe just told me, go write a book called bright line eating. And I just was like, uh, okay. I mean, I knew what it meant because I'd been abstaining from sugar and flour and stuff for a long time. Yeah. But what would you say were some of your, you know, crucial habits on a daily basis that really keep you productive and keep you able to help all these people? Oh gosh, I've got, I've got a long list and I actually have a nightly checklist sheet where I tick them off. Like I, I'm, I'm kind of a badass with my habits. So um, yeah, prayer, meditation, first thing in the morning, um, working out, um, eating my three beautiful, abundant, delicious, bright line meals. I write down my food every night, the night before for the next day. I abstain from all kinds of things, caffeine, nicotine, certain men on certain occasions. Um, Um, I'm just a junkie. So I'll just start doing stuff to excess. So whatever it is that I got to, all my bright lines that I got to abstain from. What do you think are sort of three huge mistakes people do around this eating issue? And we might have covered all of them or some of them already. So I think one of the biggest ones is, is underestimating the addictive power of sugar and flour. Mm -hmm. Like people think that they can dance with that devil. And the reality is it takes them down. Yeah. Another one is building in exceptions into their food structure. It turns out that people who, you know, have a weight problem and lose their weight and keep it off, they don't make exceptions with their food plan. They just stick with it. Um, and I know Thanksgiving is, you know, this whatever, but it, it is a Thursday and you will make it through, you know. Another one I want to say is, and this is, I know you might take issue with this, but I'll go toe to toe with you on the research. Well, you're a PhD, um, let's see. <laughs> um, people make the mistake of trying to launch an exercise program when they're trying to lose weight. They think they need to diet and exercise. I will go toe to because I will kind of agree with you in terms of people try and change too much in one go, in one big chunk, and it's not sustainable for them. So, I mean, I would link to that because it's like we said um, about even if their bright line is just no donuts. I think that's a better start than if they, like you say, try and change all their diet and then take on this crazy exercise regime because they're going to be like a couple of weeks in, they're going to think, forget this. It's hard to monitor things if you change everything, you know, start moving in the right direction and small daily actions. So I, I'm, yeah, I, I'll go with it. Yeah. And there's a particular reason why exercise is actually counterproductive to a weight loss regimen. Um, it, 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 there's a, it's something called the compensation effect, which is yeah. the brain will trick you into eating, you know, back the calories you just exercised off. And those exceptions that you're making into your food regimen mm. will keep your new food plan from being automatic. Yeah. Um, and so it'll almost guarantee that a year later you'll weigh the same or more than you do now. Um, you've got to do one thing at a time, do the food first and get, don't start exercising until eating exactly the way you want to be eating is completely automatic, like brushing your teeth. As soon as you can say that, then you've earned the right to exercise. Who would you recommend that I interview next? And I usually go for two recommendations. Someone um, that you would literally tune in to listen to that you would like to hear interviewed. Maybe you obviously, maybe not connected to them. They could be, you know, very unattainable, and then someone from your network who you think would be a, a great interview for the show? Uh, well, I would tune in to hear Oprah. I'd love to hear what okay. Oprah would say about herself these days. <laughs> it's quite a big ask. I'll see what I can do. Yeah, yeah. And um, <laughs> closer to my network, oh, you know what? Mastin Kip, he's a deer. Okay. Um, Justin Livingston, 
Sage Levine. These are some of my peeps, my entrepreneurial peeps. And okay, and are they what? What's their area of expertise? Is it all linked to sort of the psychology of eating, or no? Hmm? Mastin Kip is a personal growth guy. He okay. teaches people how to be happy and fulfilled. And um, mm-hmm. Justin Livingston um, teaches entrepreneurs how to be better entrepreneurs, but also his business and product and stuff are teaching people how to um, hold live events. Okay. Is there anything else you'd like to add in closing? I mean, it's been an absolute pleasure today. I mean, if people want to find out more about you and all we've talked about, we've mentioned a few times, but what's the best way they can connect with you and, and hear more? Well, go to brightlineeating.com, B-R-I-G-H-T-L-I-N-E, brightlineeating.com, and take the quiz at the top of the page. Yep. Um, find out how susceptible your brain is, and we can go from there. I'll teach you how to, you know, what to do with that information. There's lots of routes after that. Um, if I had to add anything, you know what I would say, cause your show is called awaken your alpha. I feel pretty unstoppable and I feel pretty much like a badass these days. But what I want to say is that there was 20 years of personal growth work that went into that. Like I've yeah. worked the 12 steps, maybe 13 times in five different 12 step programs. I've probably done 20 years of therapy. I've done Byron Katie's the work I've done, you know, group therapy, hypnotherapy. Like I've just done a yeah. lot of inner work and you know, if someone's alpha is not awakening so readily, it's probably because there's some limiting beliefs and some inner game stuff that's going on. And, you know, we all come through life with baggage and it's just, you got to face that stuff, man. You got to, you got to excavate the backyard and figure out what that shit is and work through it. Otherwise your alpha is never going to wake up. Absolutely awesome. And I think that's a great way to finish the show. The Awaken Your Alpha podcast. Do the little guy a favor. Subscribe and review. It'll help get him off my bag. This is the origins. This is what it should be. This is Awaken Your Alpha. Search Awaken Your Alpha on Facebook. Find our private group. Head over to ayalpha.com. Great community for the true fans of the show. You can interact with all the guests and myself on a daily basis. Awaken Your Alpha is well and truly back.